Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. If you're new to our church, if you're visiting, um, you're joining us at the tail end of the longest sermon series in the history of preaching. We did a sermon series, we launched it, I think, like 15 years ago, on And it's entitled, 100 Things You Should Know from the Bible. And what we've sought to do is pull together 100 of the passages we felt like, if you go to a church for any length of time, you really should know what these passages teach. And in hitting these little vignettes, or maybe we call it the highlight reel of God's word, you get a a picture of what God is saying through the whole word. And one of the, the the themes that ties all of it together is the story of redemption and the fact that God loves the fallen human race and has worked very hard to redeem what is lost and broken. And so we're now on message number 86 out of 100. And if the Lord is faithful and does not not, um, allow anything to get in our way, we will finish this sermon series by the end of July, or by the end of June, I'm sorry, in time for the retreat. So here we go, message number 86. The title of the message is In Step with the Spirit. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. I don't have slides for the text, but is there any way you guys could flash up in the ESV? Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. And I want to apologize in advance for my, my throat. Something is going on. If you would pray... God would keep it at bay during the sermon, I think it would be a better experience for all of us. So uh, please ask that the Lord would take care of this. Are we good to go with the passage? I'll just start reading, and you guys can queue up to where I am and catch up with me. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things... There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, in the past, um, I mean, there's so much in this passage. You can see clearly that, uh, that we can develop an entire series. And in fact, in the past, I have. I've preached a series on the fruit of the Spirit, nine messages highlighting each of those. I'm not going to do that this morning because in a passage this rich, we can't possibly do justice to it in 30 minutes or 
40 or however long I usually preach. Maybe 30. Um, Here's what I want to do. I want to zero in on a few aspects of this passage, some key words, and especially focusing in on this idea that Christian life is a journey of walking, and hopefully it is a journey of walking with God in step with him. I'm so thankful for the illustration uh, that Heath drew for this week's message. In fact, I think it's one of my favorites that he's done. It captures so well for me uh, the, the sense of what it feels like to me to walk with God through his Holy Spirit. Reaching up like a little boy, holding on to the hand of a trusted father figure who is guiding me capably to places I don't know where I'm going. Thank you, Steve. I think one of the misconceptions that's very common among people is that life is mostly a big standstill. Nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, a major decision is made or a turn of events, and our lives take a sudden turn for a different direction. And so I think, I think most people feel like life is mostly boring, punctuated by major activity, major movements. <clears throat> but that's actually not the way it is. I'm convinced that even when you're sitting still, you're always moving. Our lives are not just repeated reruns of the same show until something exciting happens. Every single day, we're walking whether we know it or not. Another way of saying it is, every day, you are becoming your true self. Every single day, the person you're destined to become, the person you will die being, you are becoming that person every moment, every single day. You know, sometimes people take stock of their life. They look at where they are and they go, how the heck did I end up in this place? How did it come to be that I am the person I am today and I'm in the situation I find myself in? When did this happen? Did that ever happen to you where you ended up in a place that is about as far from where you planned to be, as far from what you thought of yourself as possible, and you're like, how did it get to this? How did I or how did we end up here? And what's, what's so funny is when we take stock, when we finally wake up and look at ourselves, we act surprised. We, we act like, where did that come from? But, you know, I'm convinced the longer I live that nothing in life comes out of left field. In fact, I don't think the universe has a left field. Okay? I think the universe is wiffle ball and all the batters are three years old. We can see where this ball's going a mile away. Uh, here's what I, th- I think is the way that life works. That every single day, every moment of every single day, we say words, we make choices, we do things, and we embrace attitudes which little by little determine who we really are and reveal who we really are. The person you are today and the person you are becoming is not the product of six or seven big life decisions. It is really the product of a thousand little decisions you make every day. And that is why the person you are now, the situation you're in now, is not something that snuck up on you, caught up with you. It is what you have intentionally or unintentionally been walking steadily towards every day of your life. This is not an accident. It is the product of a way of walking. And the funny thing about walking, it's like driving. If you're not paying attention, I promise you, you will end up somewhere and you'll be surprised at where you ended up. 
All of us have spaced out driving and found ourselves on a strange road or in a strange parking lot and our appointment is somewhere on the other side of town and you think, how did that happen? It happened because whether you were paying attention or not, the car kept moving. Are you with me so far? I hope I've beaten that one enough. You are right now making choices, saying words, doing things, holding attitudes that determine who you're becoming, who you really are. Now, here's the way that the Bible talks about how that all works out in our lives. The word flesh, by the way, since we're carrying the theme of walking, the first question I want to explore is who are you walking with? Another way of saying that is who are you following? The word flesh appears often in the Bible, and most of the time the word flesh has a negative connotation, right? Uh, We rarely see the word flesh used positively in Scripture, but it's actually a somewhat neutral word. And here's what I think is the, the description, the definition of flesh that I hope you will walk around with in your mind. Flesh is humanity without God. The flesh is what we were before God entered the picture of our lives, and the flesh is what we are when God is rejected from our lives. In other words, the flesh is all that you're left with when God is not a part of the picture that defines who you're becoming. Sometimes the Bible calls it the sinful nature or the old nature because the flesh, you, minus God, normally does not lead to good things. You minus God produces a life that is not what God intends for you, has planned for you. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. When a person is saved, God does something in our lives. He saved us, Titus 3, 5 to 6 says. He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. That's very important. He didn't just give us a new religion, a new set of cultural habits or way of a new set of rules. What he gave us is a new life. The essence inside of us, something profound switches on and changes so that it's possible that the person I once was is going to be replaced by a growing person that is becoming who I am. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. In other words, accompanying salvation, this this being saved by God, is an activity in which the Holy Spirit is poured out generously upon us. But it's not just a superficial covering. 1 Corinthians 3.16 goes on to teach us, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that, listen, God's spirit doesn't just cover over you. God's spirit lives in you. So here's here's the picture we're painting then. Is that before I knew God, I was merely flesh. I was humanity without God. But when God saves me, the Holy Spirit of God, God's own spirit, his breath, his essence moves in and dwells inside of me. So now I've got a problem, don't I? As God's spirit moves inside of me, and I was once just flesh minus God, now I am flesh with God. So a tension, a conflict begins that previously I never experienced. When I was just in the flesh, humanity without God, there was really no tension. Sure, I experienced conflict, disappointment, anger, 
I, did, I experienced negative emotions, but I was not in conflict fundamentally because I was a God unto myself. I followed what I wanted to do, and sometimes what I wanted to do led to bad results. So before I knew God, the only time I felt bad was when bad stuff was happening to me. Oh, man. I'm so mad that I went for the promotion and instead I got fired. Oh, man, I'm so mad I asked her to prom and she laughed in my face and sent me away. Flesh, humanity without God, can experience negative emotions, but it doesn't experience an internal conflict because it only has one master, one voice that it follows. And that's the place where, believe it or not, some of us in this room are living right now. You may be religious, you may have grown up in the church, but that does not make anybody saved. God describes this as a picture of the flesh. is that you only know the voice of one master, and when it calls, you follow it. It's the voice that is your true voice. It's the one undisputed ruler sitting on the throne of your life. And without God, the only other real candidate to be God is yourself. Another way of saying that is non-Christianity is a religion built around self-centeredness. I will be the only one who determines my steps. That is functional atheism. It is what we are when we don't follow the leading of God. But now for the person who is in Christ, who belongs to him, his spirit now lives inside of us, and his spirit isn't there just chilling out on the bench going... What's up, homie? How's life? Everything's good. All right. Just living here, just hanging out. That's not how God lives in a person. When he lives in us, he lives in us to rule over us, to remodel the house, to be the landlord and the king on the throne. And so as God moves in, his spirit also exerts mastery. It exerts its will over us, his will, so that God is saying, listen, once you listen to everything that your own voice told you, you wanted, that was right, that was good in your own eyes, but now there's another voice inside. So for the first time in your life, you experience tension, a war within yourself where there are two things you feel like you want. I want God and I want the old stuff. And what God said is that's normal when you're a newborn Christian. There are echoes of that old way of remembering this habit that you only did what you wanted to do. You followed your own voice. But there's a new voice that is speaking to you, and you're hearing it more and more. And as you walk with that voice, as you listen to it, that is the journey we call the Christian faith the Christian life. It's a journey of walking with God, hearing his voice, being led by him, so that instead of just following my own voice, I give in to that tension and I let God win that conflict inside of me so that he orders my steps. He becomes the voice that controls me. So in Galatians, here's what Paul says. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, to the extent that you listen to the voice of God's spirit inside of you and yield to him, you will not end up gratifying the voice that always spoke in your life that said, this is what you really want. This is what, because if you want that old life, you don't also get all the new benefits. Both come together. 
And he just makes it as clear as possible. Here's what Paul says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. They can't be roommates. You can't build a life where you give equal time to both. You can't say like some crazy people said, I'm in love with both of you. It doesn't work that way. The human heart is not made to love more than one. You can pretend it, you can claim it, but it can't be real. It's just not the way the human heart is wired. So he says, you cannot somehow cause both of these voices, these spirits inside of you, to coexist in harmony. There is no such life. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are are against the flesh. And in case you're not paying attention, for these are opposed to each other. And here's the way those two voices work. One keeps you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, there is a desire that speaks to who you really are, what you really want. You naturally gravitate toward or resonate with one of those two voices. The voice of God's spirit or your own voice, the voice of the flesh. You can hear both voices pretty clearly most of the time, but one of them speaks to you and speaks for you, and the other is an annoyance, an impediment. And the real question that helps us determine where we truly are spiritually, listen, where you are spiritually has virtually nothing to do with what you claim with your mouth. You can say all kinds of things. Whenever I play sports, that's what I do. I play more with my mouth and trash talking than with my hands and feet and actual playing. That's just my style, okay? It's how I freak people out and get in their head. What you say is meaningless. What you do is meaningful. So where you are truly spiritually has very little to do with which religion you affiliate with, which doctrines you can recite from memory. Who you are spiritually, where you really are, has almost everything to do with which one of these voices is the resident dominion and which is the unwelcome invader. In other words, which one of these voices sits on the throne and which is the one trying to beat down the gate and invade? If that's too abstract, here's another way of looking at it. Which describes better the tension you usually feel in your life? I want so badly to do what God wants, but I'm so distracted and annoyed by the constant voice of the flesh, and I want to get rid of it. I want to conquer this voice of the flesh that's leading me to do self-destructive things, ungodly things, shameful things. I hate that voice. I want to fight it because the voice of my, my God, his spirit in me, that's the real voice I'm after. That's the voice I'm hoping will win the, the battle for the throne of my life. And damn that other voice. I hate it. I think it's appropriate to use that word when it's literal. Damn that voice of the enemy of my old life, of the old existence, the godless existence that keeps wanting to do damage to me in the guise of doing me favors. Is that the tension you feel? Or is it maybe this way? My God, I want to just live my life. I'm sick of the guilt trips. I'm sick of the restrictions, all the rules. Why can't I just do what I want? But every time you're tempted to do it, that your spirit says, damn that voice of God. Yeah, that's strong, isn't it? But that's what you're thinking. 
if, if it would just let go of me, if it would loosen its grip over me, I could just be free, run, do what I want, but it won't let me go. And it's the unwelcome distraction, the invader, the annoyance. And you say to your heart maybe, oh man, I wish I could live this way, but man, that voice of God, it's always, man, he, God, you know, I want to do this, but God goes, yeah, but you know what you got to do. And you're like, dang it, dang it. It's like the way a kid feels. When they're young, they're not very responsible, and so they want to play their video game, and mom comes up and goes, um, have you done your homework? Dang that voice. Dang that voice. Every time I want to have some fun, that stupid voice pops out of nowhere. Uh, should you be responsible? Should you do what's right? Should you? And you're like, oh, just shut up. If you would just get out of the way, I could have everything that makes me happy. Is that how you feel spiritually? Does that describe the way you live your life? Is that what's really going on inside your heart? Or is it maybe this, man, I want to do well. I want to be responsible. I want to do what is good for my life. But dang it, I keep getting distracted by that stupid video game. It's not that it's so bad in and of itself, but man, it has a disproportionate hold on me. So let me just bear down, focus, do what is right And then in the right ways, I will get the things that I want. That's the voice of maturity, isn't it? That's the voice we hope you learn by the time you get to university because mom and dad don't follow you to campus and tell you to do your homework. At that point, either you're wasting tuition money or you're growing up. But which is the voice, the conversation that best describes what happens in you spiritually? Wrestle with that for a minute. Do you view God's voice as the king, the the beacon that pulls you forward, and the voice of the flesh as that irritating mosquito that won't let you be? Or is it flipped around? The flesh is the promised land. The realm of freedom, no holds barred, nobody making me feel bad, and the voice of God is that little gnat flying around my ear telling me I can't have all the goodies. Because what Paul writes is, That conversation is the truest revelation of your spiritual condition. It reveals for you whether the Spirit of God is alive and active in you, whether or not you, in fact, are among those who will inherit the kingdom of God, know his name, be known by him, trust in him, be yielded to him. Are you one of those, or are you somebody who once heard about Jesus and have been sitting in his auditorium ever since. Do you realize that's not said in order to produce guilt in you, but to wake you up so that you're not free and safe to go on perpetuating some myth in your mind about your true spiritual state? It's good for us to know where we really are spiritually and not live under this lie that somehow I am advanced because I've logged 18 years in the church. Because I won the Bible sword contest in Sunday school. And I know the right answer to most of the questions that are asked in small group. It's right for us to know the answer to that question. Which voice dominates and which voice irritates? That right there tells you where you are. The second question that I want to address is, where is that taking you? Where is your walk taking you? Let's do a little visual recognition test, shall we? I'm going to show you pictures of trees, and I want you all to tell me what kind of tree it is. 
What kind of tree is that? Yes, Hans says it's a green tree. D minus in biology. Did, did anybody know what kind of tree this is? Yes, that's an apple tree. How about this one? What is it? That's a cherry tree. How about this one? By the way, I went in Photoshop, digitally removed all the identifying marks. So, you <laughs> What is this? That's an orange tree. How about that one? It's a peach tree. How about this one? It's a pear tree. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you don't see the fruit hanging from the branches, we are all idiots tree-wise, aren't we? Every tree looks the same to us. You don't know an apple tree from a pear tree. Give me a break. Unless you own an orchard and that's all you do, you don't know one tree from another, but you enjoy its fruit all the time. And the point of that little test was to prove to you the words that Jesus said were true. He said, you will recognize a tree by its fruit. For all its boastful claims, if a pear tree says, dude, I make the best apples, oh, man, when harvest time comes, I'm going to give you some apples. I have such apples inside of me. And then harvest time comes and pop, 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 nothing but pears on the branches. Dang it. This year I was working so hard to make apples, and not a one came out. Darn it. And you would counsel that tree in your office and say, listen, pear tree, check it out. I know you so badly want to be an apple tree, but you can't strain to make apples. You can only be you. The point is not to change the fruit you dangle from your branches, but to change your nature. Because you will only make pears as long as you are a pear tree. Another way of looking at that from the other side of it is, if you want to know what's really inside, the most reliable measure is to watch for a while and see what comes out. This is the least reliable exit. All kinds of garbage comes out of this pie hole. Blah, 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 blah. Exaggeration, boasts, self-deception, delusion, blah, 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 blah. lie after lie after lie. So much that you start to believe your own lies. It starts sounding right to you. It starts making sense to you. And then one person comes along with a voice of truth and says, that's wrong. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. This thing is the exhaust pipe for this gross thing down here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. You want to know what's in there? Watch, listen, observe, because eventually that generic-looking tree will suddenly, oh, man, stupid orange, it outed me. I'm an orange tree. All right, fine. I'm an orange tree. And eventually, for as long as you play the charade, your true self will emerge. You can't fake it forever. Nobody's got that kind of stamina. Now, some people get to that place of finally admitting this is the real me, and they feel an exhilaration over the freedom of saying, no more pretending. But what if instead of thinking you're an apple tree, you actually turn out to be a dog poo tree? 
What if the truth is not anything to be proud of? Yes, maybe you finally say, no more charades, no more lies. This is the real me, and the real you is so shameful. It is not at all the person you wish to be. This is the real me. Observe. We will know a tree by its fruit. And the longer I serve as a pastor, the more true this statement becomes. Because I have heard words, y'all. Man, have I heard a lot of words. But when you open your eyes, the truth comes out. And I'm not saying that of everybody else. No, I am most familiar with my own delusions. I know more and more, with disappointment and shame, what I'm like. And so what Paul says is, listen, these two voices, these spirits inside of you, they're not leading you cooperatively into some kind of hybrid life. They are diametrically opposed to each other. And the two voices will produce two very radically different-looking lives. Look at the life which flesh, humanity without God, produces. And it does it with joy and laughter and applause because it doesn't know any better. This is the life produced when humanity exercises its will without God's intervention. Now, the works of godless humanity are very evident. That word in other translations, it's painfully obvious. This is not a nuanced judgment call. You know when the voice of godless humanity is exerting itself in a person's life because this is what comes out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and on and on. The list goes, and it's, it's not meant to be exhaustive because look how Paul ends it. And things like these. He's saying, you know, let's, let's not pretend you need an exhaustive list. You know godlessness when you see it. It produces things like sex without the dignity of love. It produces things like violence, conflict, broken relationships. You never see the flesh making relationships stronger and deeper. It always leads to a breaking of relationships. That's what selfishness always does to a relationship because selfishness says this is you and me but it's mostly me how are you going to maintain a relationship on that basis it's you and me but mostly get out of the way it's me let's just be honest it's me and you are a prop in the story of me it produces things like forfeiting responsibility no, i don't know it's not my way i'm just human it is what it is i hate that phrase it is such an irresponsible Lame phrase, hey, you know, it is what it is. That's just another way of saying, I'm too tired to think. I don't know. So we've got this cultural habit, it is what it is. No, it is something. It isn't just what it is. What is it? What is it? It produces things like substance abuse, runaway selfishness, a selfishness so blind to its own offensiveness, it can't see what it's doing to anybody else. This is what godless humanity produces when you follow its call again and again. 
Now, I'm not saying this to create some kind of oversimplified picture of tribes, of teams. If you do God stuff, you'd have a great... I'm saying this is what is produced when God does not intervene. Think about it. Left to your own devices, what time would you wake up on Saturday? Anybody? What time would you wake up if, you, if nobody, including your spouse, would wake you up? I wake up probably around 5 p.m. Maybe. If something good was on TV, I might get up at 5 p.m. If not, I might get up Sunday morning. Right? Left to our own devices, without the intervention of somebody who wants the best for us, most of us will degenerate into pathetic behavior, self-destructive behavior. Because that is what finite fallen flesh does. You can't pretend you're the one exception to this cosmic rule. Flesh is what flesh does And what flesh does is it destroys itself. It decays. But look at the flip side. The life produced by the Holy Spirit's leading looks very different than that last list. Which list do you instinctively long for in your life? What's funny is a lot of people, they want to act like the first list, but have everyone else treat them like the second list. I don't want to be like that first list, but you all have to be loving, patient, joyful to me. I don't want you to make me feel bad. Come on. Which one of these lists do you want your life to be? Really? Here's another way of asking it. Which one of these lives do you want for your children someday? Do you ever say, uh, Zoe, honey, I hope that your life will be full of orgies and drunkenness and fits of rage division and uh, violence. I, I really hope someone beats you silly to within an inch of your life, takes your dignity, uses you in disguise. I really hope that when you're done, there's not a shred of dignity left in you. I, I want that for you, sweetie. Because you'll be so free. You'll enjoy it every step of the way. It'll feel awesome. And I won't say a word. I'll just watch you. Is that what you want for your kids? If it is, come talk to me. I'm going to punch you in the face. Are you kidding me? This is what we want. But what God says is, it's not a life produced any old way. There is one way to see this life produced. It is when the Spirit of God in you has dominion over you so that you're keeping in step with that voice, walking with him, not away from him. You want that life. There is a prescribed way to get it. And short of it, you've got to resign yourself to the other life. Those are the rules, and there are no exceptions or loopholes. You want this life, you walk with the Spirit of God. You want that other life, kick God out of the picture and go. You don't need any help to build that first list. The human nature will do that first list all by itself. Watch a child without parental supervision, and you see a terror of fallen nature and humanity, don't you? Have any of you ever babysat a kid whose parents did nothing to train him? You see humanity on display, don't you? That's what we are without God right there. That kid. Notice it says the fruit. It's singular. 
These are not nine character traits you are working hard to display one at a time as if it's part of some spiritual... What he says is, yes, all of these are commanded in Scripture. They are character traits. But what he's saying is all of these things are not produced by repetition and striving. They are the natural outflow of something that's happening inside. It is what comes out when a dog poo tree becomes an apple tree and apples begin plopping out on the branches to everyone's surprise and delight. You used to smell so bad and the stuff falling off your branches we had to avoid stepping in, but now I want to eat the things that hang from the branches of your life. I'm drawn to what your life produces. I want that. I want to be near it. So the spirit-led person, the person whose heart is gripped by and is following God's voice, begins inexorably to look this way. And we're not just talking about one or two of these things. There's a whole movement of people in the church who believe that true Christian maturity is knowing more and more about the Bible. That's like me saying, I'm in love with Jeannie because I've got to know more and more facts about her. I could write the biography of Jeannie, and that proves I love her. It doesn't. What God says is spiritual maturity is marked by a growing dominion of my spirit over you so that these visible marks are inexorably displayed in your life. They pop out, sometimes even against your will. They come out of you. They are becoming who you are in their totality. There's no such thing as a healthy, mature Christian who is patient but never joyful. Kind, but not self-controlled. It isn't as if you can say that somehow, you know, that is a picture of somebody who is still on the way, but there are submission issues. There are areas of our lives where I've still chosen to listen to and yield to the voice of my flesh, not the voice of God's spirit. And that's why when God's spirit is in full dominion over me, I will grow to be more patient, more joyful, more loving, more kind, more gentle, more self-controlled. Those things will come out of me if I'm yielding to God continually. But if I'm not, then in some areas of my life, there will be this perpetual state of underdevelopment. It matters because in verse 21, Paul makes an ominous statement. That first list, if that describes the overarching theme of your life, if that describes the direction that your life is headed, and you're not even wanting to fight it anymore, what that reveals, and you need to know this honestly about yourself, is that you may very well be among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because when we become Christians, it's not about adopting a new moral code or a new way of living. It's about the Holy Spirit of the living God laying hold of me supernaturally so that he grabs me, he snatches me, he saves me, he guards me, he does everything. Christianity is not a religion. It's the only religion on earth you can't sign up and join. Yeah, I said the oath, I paid my dues, I'm in. You can't volunteer to become a Christian. Being a Christian is something which God must initiate. He does something deep inside of you. 
You don't enculturate into this faith. You are grabbed by the Spirit of God and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to become a Christian by the power of God, not by your volitional choice. Are we clear on that? If that's the way you become a Christian, then these evidences are a sign of life that that event happened in my life. That I've yielded to God. I, I know the spirit of the living God. He is in me and he's exerting his will and I'm obeying him. I'm following. I'm listening. I am walking with him. And if the opposite is always happening, after a while, you've got to just kind of go, um, yeah. If you turn on the, the, the Blu-ray players, sit down with your family, popcorn is pop, and you're ready to watch a movie and all you see is the home screen of your Blu-ray player. After a while, you're going to go, did somebody put the disc in? (laughs) Won't you eventually ask the question? Because when the disc is in, the title of the movie comes up. That's the way it works. And when forever and a day, you don't see anything show up on the screen, isn't it fair to conclude, hey, there's nothing in there. Hello. You are what you've always been. Flesh. Humanity minus God. Because I'm straining to find the evidence that a living, thriving, writhing God, a vital God, is exerting himself and transforming you. And it's so hard to see. And that's not me saying it in judgment. It's me saying it as in, hey, maybe you didn't actually take the medicine. Maybe you're not immune. Maybe you're not well. You need to go before God and say, I need something to happen in me. That is different from what I always thought happened in me. Let me wrap up by giving you a couple fast, practical tips because this is kind of abstract. What does it mean? What does it actually look like than to walk with the Spirit of God, to keep in step with Him? And I'll give you two quick, practical ways to practice this, all right? Is that redundant? Practical ways to practice this. First is in verse 18. By the way, I'm sorry. I got that flipped around. It says, if you are led by the Spirit. What that means is there is a component in which God is not just advising you, counseling you. He's attempting to lead you, to direct your steps, not to inform your steps or to advise your steps, but to direct them. There is a, an aspect of God in our lives where he intends to be the leader and not the companion. And when we follow that lead, we come out from under the burden, the oppressive burden of the law and of our own self-made righteousness. I believe God leads us in three ways. Maybe more, but these are three clear and common ways he guides us. It's through the words of scripture. The revealed word of God is good leading from God. He also gives you inner convictions. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just go put a quarter this time in that panhandler's hat. Just this time, this one time, this guy really needs, go say something to her. I know you're really mad, but this time, you just got to forgive him. Just let it go. And you hear that, you feel it, and, and that's God's leading. He's putting a message downloaded directly into your own gut. And often, He will also speak to you or lead you through the counsel of others. Now, when it says God leads us, Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York, gave me this 
He didn't give it to me directly. I stole it from the sermon. But he, he gave me this really interesting way of thinking about it. God's spirit doesn't lead us the way the pace car leads the pack at the Indy 500. I'm riding in front. All of you follow at this speed. That's not the leading. He said it's more like the way a locomotive leads a freight train. Right? A locomotive doesn't just sit in front. It supplies the power for everyone to follow. It pulls you in its wake. It supplies the ability to go in the direction and the speed that it is asking of you. That's the way God's spirit leads us. And yet there seems to be a volitional aspect of it. We are led by the spirit, but in your free will, you can choose to ignore the leading of the spirit. And here's how the way it works. You read something in scripture that starts to pound away at you. You know this is the the truth. This is right. But you can easily turn off the voice of God, muzzle him by going, yeah, but I'm just going to move on with my day. I'm not going to respond to that in any way. Or you get an inner prompting. Have you ever felt that? An inner prompting? A very strong surge to do something, to respond in a certain way. But then you find a really good reason not to, and you go, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do that. Or here's a really common one. All these irritating people come to you and blah, 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 and they're telling you all this true stuff, and all of it takes you away from what you want. So after a while, you have to demonize them in your mind. What do they know? They're just judging me. They're haters. They're jealous. They're whatever. And so you begin checking them off the list of people who can speak into your life. This has happened to me so many times. I'm not in your life because I want more drama. I'm trying to help. But as I speak, after a while, I only have one message. It's the same broken record. Come to God. Repent. Be with him. Follow him. And they're like, just shut up. And you know what happens after a while? My emails stop getting returned. My phone calls go straight to voicemail. And I know what's happening is I'm on the bad list. I'm on the muzzle list. They're shutting out every competing voice that threatens what the heart wants. Isn't that the way it goes when you really want something? When you want a new car, you don't ask the practical bean counter in your family. You ask the visionary, uh, spontaneous one. Hey, what do you think about the convertible? Dude, get it. Get it. And the bean counter is like, mm, I don't know if that's really the wisest choice for you. You're like, you shut up, stupid bean counter. You don't have any life in you. You only listen to the voices that push you in the way you want to go. And so the, the first practical thing is let God lead. Stop shutting him up. He is leading. He is speaking through your own voice, through the voice of others, and through his own voice in Scripture. He is leading all the time. But you can so easily shut him out of the picture. That's the flesh surging up. I hate this spirit-indwelt existence. I long for the old days of a godless humanity, the days of flesh when no one spoke against what I wanted. And it's very easy to shut that out. Please don't do it. Here's the second thing. It says in verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us then also keep in step with the spirit. I don't know if any of you have walked with me, but I am a fast walker, and I'm also a very arrogant guy. I, I assume I'm leading everywhere I go. Okay, I don't it's just built into my hard wiring, and it makes me an ugly person sometimes, especially when I'm in a foreign country. I remember one time I was walking with somebody in, in China, and we're having this conversation, but I'm like a fast walker, so I'm like walking, talking, and I got really impressed with the line of conversation I was having all by myself, and I stopped, and I looked up, 
and he was gone. I'm like, what the? Where is this guy? I look back, and he's about half a block away just smiling. He's just waiting for me. So I walk back. I'm like, what was that, dude? Why, why, you, why did you ditch me? He's like, oh, I didn't ditch you. I was just waiting to see where you were taking me because this is not your city, but you're leading like you know where the heck you're going. And I was just curious where you're going to end up and how long you'd walk before you noticed I wasn't even with you anymore. I'm embarrassing myself publicly for your benefit. Not so you'll judge me, but so you'll look at yourself. Because I think that's our relationship with God's spirit so much of the time. You're walking in front like you know where the heck you're going. And if I ask you, where are you going to be in 10 years? Say it with certainty. Where are you going to be? I don't know. Then why are you walking in front? How will you know when you're supposed to turn right or turn left? And that's the whole point of keeping in step. Have you ever had somebody following you to a place they don't know where they're going? So their car, they say, I'll just follow you. Isn't it so annoying when they don't keep up? When they keep falling back like 18 car lengths behind you? And it's stressful because you're like, dude, when I have to turn right, you're not going to see me. You're going to be too far behind and you're going to miss the turn. It's important when you're following a leader to keep pace. Because if you don't, then when the big turns come, you'll have no idea where he's gone. That's where the left field element comes from. Where we respond in the big events of our lives, the big decisions, the life changers, they're the natural product of how we've made every little decision incrementally along the way. And so it should be our habit to walk in step with God's spirit. And all that really means is a habit, a lifestyle of perpetual, instant response to God. When you sense that God's spirit is saying, forgive that person, don't first assess how you feel in your heart. He will deal with that later. That's aftermath. But when God's spirit says to you, go to her, forgive her, tell her she's free. You don't first figure out how you feel. You obey the Lord at that moment because this is God trying to lead you to places you might not go on your own. So much of God's leading is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of what I want to do at that moment. But if I learn instantly to respond in obedience to God, a lifestyle, a pattern will develop in my life so that when the big things come, I will zag when he zags. I will zig when he zigs because I am in lockstep with my leader. If you ever try walking with someone and you don't know where you're going, there's a lot of constant monitoring involved. You're trying to have a conversation, but you're also going, here, 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 this, okay, good, all right, I'm coming. All right, oh, and here, okay. And you're, you're not just walking mindlessly. You're constantly looking to see if I'm okay, if I'm in step with them. And that's the way we're meant to walk with God. Not totally ignore God until I have a job decision. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know if you remember me. My name is Dave, born like 44 years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. But listen, I need to know which one of these jobs would give me more money. So would you kind of, you know, just like send me a telegram or something. That's not the way we live with God. Ignore him, neglect him, live in the flesh, and all of a sudden pretend we care what the Spirit wants for us. Every day he leads us. Every day we follow, and a life is produced that looks like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We become what we are doing. 
And what we do is determined by who we follow. Who are you following? Where is that taking you? And what are you becoming? My hope for all of us hearing this is not that we will say, oh, man, that puts me in bad shape. I'm a mess. Forget it then. But to say, I want that picture. Something is missing in me. I won't rest until I get him, until I get it. That's the life I want. My prayer for all of us is that we will be a people who together as a family walk in step with the Holy Spirit of God. That will mean for some of you that in the next year, if this is working, if God is faithful and you are faithful, you're going to go from being a grouchy, constantly annoyed sourpuss to a person who is smiley mixed smiley pants, okay? I mean, you will go from a person who is perpetually, uh, he looks like, are you one of those people, everyone comes up to you and they go, what's wrong? They're like, why does everyone ask me that? Because you always look like something's wrong. You never look happy. You never look satisfied, content. But if you will walk this way, something called joy will pop out on your branches. People start asking, hey, what's so funny? Like nothing, just life is awesome and I'm happy. You know a lot about yourself by the questions everybody asks you, right? I hope that as we walk with the Spirit, we will be different people, changed to look like Him. Amen? Let's pray together. I think the reason that New Year's resolutions never work is because they are like scotch taping oranges to an apple tree's branches. It is starting backwards with a visible sign hoping it will change what's inside. But that isn't the way our God works. He says, I don't want to change your behavior. I want to change the essence of what's going on deep in you. And then things will start to happen in the visible realm. So that's where we begin. Now with this stressed out, guilt-driven feeling, I need to be more self-controlled, more loving, more patient. But man, I need to know that the voice of the Spirit of God is the voice which I yearn to follow. And that other voice of the flesh is the annoying invader which we will quell one day. God's voice is the true voice that I follow. That's how it begins. That's how we change. With that spirit in mind, let's pray for that. God, I want to discern your voice. And then I I want to ask you, help me above all other things, to want that voice and to be led where you're taking me. Let's pray that together. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.